At Utility Muffin Labs, we are dedicated to accommodating our consumer clients with uncontrived, austere, generalized, and adequate snack-based comestible muffin provisions for your cafeteria or common staff member gathering areas. We refrain from overt decorative adornment that can foment jobholder chaos and sedition. A saccharine workforce is a productive workforce. Procure your necessary muffin repository by visiting us at utilitymuffinlabs.com, on Facebook at Utility Muffin Labs, on Twitter at 25 Years of VTM, or Utility Muffins, all one word, on Instagram at Utility Muffin Labs, one word. Support the labs on Patreon at patreon.com slash 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, and finally, adorn your human form with our t-shirts at tpublic.com slash users slash Utility Muffin Labs. Utility Muffin Labs, think homogenous. is 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, a retrospective podcast brought to you by UtilityMuffinLabs.com. Welcome to another episode of 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. I am Nathan. And I am Bob. And it is officially winter. It's snowing in Chicago. It is sucktastic. Welcome to our podcast. We appreciate you listening today. We're going to be discussing, reviewing, talking about Clan Book Nosferatu, the revised edition Nosferatu is trademarked. You can see it's right there. It's, it is. Anyways, um, yeah, so this is the, the revised edition of the Nosferatu Clan Book, and um, we might have a couple of these books on our shelf. Just a few. Yeah. Um, we heard from one of our listeners yesterday who is involved in a, like a company that um like they basically have like a game store where they rent out books like a library and i was like damn that's a good idea i don't know why we don't do that uh the thing of it was they they live in an area where there aren't a lot of locations for people to travel to and so like their store they own like a storefront and this is in australia they own like a storefront and that's where people go to game basically. And because there aren't a lot of locations and you don't really make a lot of money selling books out of a store anymore. Um, they have a big library where they basically like rent them out like a library. And I was like, wow, that is a really cool idea. I don't know why someone hasn't done that here. But then I remembered like people just don't give books back even when they borrow them from their friends. Even when they're checked out from a library. Yeah. Even when they're checked out from a library, I want to keep this book. So I'll just never go back to the library. But anyways, if you live close, we have our own library system. It's called come over and read the books. Anyways, let's get into the (laughs) Nosferatu clan book. Um, So the Nosferatu clan book, it is a lot of what you already know about the Nosferatu clan but it's also a lot of information that you don't know. And what I mean by that, um, this is my personal opinion on it, having read this, uh, the the second edition, you know, the first Nosferatu clan book and this revised Nosferatu clan book. To me, like we already had a very clear idea of what the Nosferatu are. They're gatherers of secrets. They're hideously deformed. They live in the sewers, right? Yep. And you can pretty much get by on that assumption, right? Like, what else do you need to know? Well, I mean, really nothing. You know, you can get into the clan and all of the nuances you can learn while playing them, or you can revise your clan book and give us more detail about what that clan actually is. And 
um, this this book starts out in the same way that every other clan book starts out with a story, a brief introduction into the clan and, and what that clan is. And what we see here, very simply, is a very sort of nihilistic kind of like a really shitty perspective on life. And that translates very well into this individual, whoever she is, becoming an Asferatu. And there's not a lot of care there. There's not a lot of love and consideration. And it's very much someone who was not living a very particularly happy life, if you would agree. Oh, yeah. Who transitioned into not a very particularly happy unlife. And kind of like um, their sire, whoever this individual is, sort of watching them with a detached lack of concern. And I feel like this gives us an idea of what the Nosferatu are as a whole. They're individuals who watch and they covet and they hoard, but they don't really care what happens to everybody else. We're, we're not seeing a lot of allegiances here aside from the internal allegiances with the clan, and even those are tentative at best. And I think the thing important to, to hammer home is even what you just said right there, that stereotype is the backbone of their whole history right when it comes down to it because a lot of people said that zilla made the nosferatu well you're right according to the nosferatu clan book revised right in a way right and and that's the thing that we need to clarify too because we hear a different tale in the original clan book right yep and the original tale was if we're familiar with it if you've listened to our podcast if you've read the book zilla has replaced kane in that regard uh and I, I find that, that that's pretty common. The, there is, it's it's oral history, right? Yep. So it's going to change, and it's going to change from Nosferatu to Nosferatu. And they establish that here, that the information that we provide is not necessarily accurate. And they do it in a pretty brilliant way. They do it in a gathering of historians, right? They even show you it. They, they show you with, uh, and, and why, why I bring that up is because the backdrop, right, of this mm-hmm. whole clan book when you're reading it, the picture matters, right? Which is shocking, right? It shows a Nosferatu in a boat of like bones and trash, kind of just going through the canal, right, to get to the gathering that all the Nos are headed to, and right. we do mean all the Nos. And and so this book takes place in a hosting in uh, un, unnamed as of yet uh, Warrens under a Camarilla city. That much we can establish pretty much right off the bat. And there are a number of different Nosferatu, and during this hosting, it's like uh, it's it's like something similar to what the Gangrel would have, right? They get together, they all tell a story. That's you know oral tradition. Yep. And the Nosferatu are deeply steeped in oral tradition because they're brokers of secrets. They tell stories for different reasons, and they tell stories for whatever agenda that they have. They tell stories for protection, and that's kind of the one thing that most of them can agree on is that at some point way back when there were a bunch of uh, a bunch of Nasratu that served the founder of the clan and they're hunting the rest of them down but even that's not universally agreed upon as we'll learn in this history because again it's told from the perspective of many not just from one and so we'll spare you all the details but uh, essentially there was once Nasratu and he was a great hunter that much we can agree on he was a great hunter, and in the hunt, he encountered a vampire. Here it indicates Zilla. And he was like, oh, I'm going to take that thing down because I'm the greatest hunter. And he fails. And Zilla, in this book, uh, in this telling of the story, 
He says, I'm going to kill you, but I mean, you were such a great hunter and your passion and, you know, we're, I'm going to give you the blood because I'm going to need great hunters by my side for when I go and I get my vengeance against Kane because I'm pissed off you embrace me, whatever. And Nosferatu becomes a vampire, but he's got that scar, right? Right. In this story, in the oral history of the Nosferatu clan, we've got that scar, that thing that just defaces me. I'm a great, beautiful, majestic hunter, and I'll never get over the fact that I was scarred. And then what we can agree on is that at some point, Nosferatu embraced a bunch of other people and tried to kill somebody. In this book, it's Zilla, right? He tried to kill Zilla. Well, right, because uh, in here they acknowledge that Kane made three. Right, right, that, exactly. That was there. Yep. That, what I like about Revised, they pretty much hold to that. Right, right. Kane made three, right, and there and, they are. And those three made others. Ventru added more than three, right? We noticed <laughs> right, that. Right, right, right. said, hey, there are a couple more. Right, right. We'll, we'll get to that. Because we ruled a lot more than three people. Right. Just not, yeah, not important. Yeah. We, we had whole kingdoms, <laughs> lofty kingdoms. There was two other ones, whatever. So Benasaratu has that. He has three. And then uh, Zilla was the one who gets involved in his tale. Why it's unique is Zilla really doesn't get involved otherwise. Right. Like it's a footnote in a lot of other clans, but this one it's like hammered home. Mm -hmm. And Zilla told everyone else's accounts was beautiful. She was someone that was very much wanted and lofted and it's, and it's interesting. Right. And, uh, there's, there's that. And then exactly what she said, but I want to highlight Nosferatu's a dick. Mm -hmm. He's no, but like when you want to talk about vanity, you're already the supreme hunter, even amongst the entities that existed back then. Right. But you couldn't kill that one that you tried to kill. So, you know, screw her. But the other universally accepted truth, and I use truth in air quotes, you can't see it because this is audio. Um, the, the other universally accepted truth is that at some point in between Nosferatu wanting to kill Zilla or Kane or whoever that was that embraced him, and wanting to uh, and and embracing the Niktuku, the fourth generation, there's one young lady he embraces, and for whatever reason she escapes. So, all both of the clan books and almost all of the stories universally accept that there was one who was not part of the original, you know, the the fourth generation. However many those were, right? She was of the fourth generation, but she was not in that clique. She was not bound to Nosferatu, and she fled and escaped. So that's one thing, and and she is universally accepted as the progenitor of the rest of the clan. And that's important to note. Why it's in that, in that hall, whatever, mm-hmm. it's not that the Niktaku are randomly hunting all Nosferatu, and that's why it's a myth. Right. No, they're trying to kill her. That's who they want dead, but by the way, you're her buddy. You're her descendants. Right. You, we got to go through you to get to her. So it's one of those things, like, if you're an Asferatu player and you're thinking about it, why is that important? Eh, just having the correct info, right? I think, is good. And, like, is there a right and wrong in this instance? Yeah. Because if they agree that there's that dissension, that level of, no, no, the the real asshole made the Niktaku, and you're a descendant of one of the Niktaku, right? Or one of the ones that would be Niktaku, but is not, because it's not mm-hmm. part of that clique, who's trying to flee her sire it's that simple and then made and everyone else comes so on and so forth right and and it's at this point that we learn in the in the telling of the tale as they all sort of tell their own perspective it's at this point we have a gentleman who is referred to only as an autark cynic (laughs) and he says all of that is horseshit basically all of the stories that you tell each other have been passed down to you by the two sects and they use you to use you 
there the he believes we as Nosferatu, I use the royal we, we as Nosferatu, we are evolved. We live in a world of science and reason, and it is logical that we evolved best to survive in these underworlds. And the stories that your your Camerill and your Sabat tell you is that there are these grand evil villains that are hunting you down, and they're just waiting in the dark to sup on you, like old superstitious wives' tales. Like, you know, if you don't eat your meat, you know, if you're not good, Krampus will get you, whatever. You know, insert here. That's basically the story he tells. He gets up and he says... All this is hooey. This is all bullshit. You people better get in line and figure it out because you're getting you're getting used by both of them. And so does that mean it's horseshit? That's what he believes. There you go. Right, right, exactly. And that's the key here is that this is all oral tradition again. So we go through and we basically know the tale. Uh, at some point, Nosferatu is, you know, is it's revealed that Nosferatu tries to kill his sire. Kane's like, yeah, bastard get out of here and he curses him to be ugly and Nosferatu maybe goes to ground and sleeps and the Niktuku are like well fuck man how are we gonna fix this well we've gotta we gotta hunt everybody down we gotta end this curse we gotta show Nosferatu how much we care and you know how much we're willing to get in to end this curse and it's interesting right because they were tasked to hunt Zilla down Mm mm-hmm which is exactly why King got pissed. Mm-hmm. You know that happened, and that's and that's you. So, and then now he goes to sleep, and they just they're just continuing. Mm-hmm. Why should they stop? Because did Nosferatu grab just anyone to make the Niktaku? No, mm-hmm. he didn't. He grabbed the very worst things that were out there to see what we could have. And, and why that's unique to me is because if you're a storyteller looking for extra mystery in your Nosferatu clan, what the hell is a Niktaku, and what what could it have been? Right. And that's, and that's what, are they even real in your game? Right. And it does give you some, um, the cool thing that they do in here is that in all the books, they give you the little gray sidebars, you know, for like, Hey, here's extra information. They do that in this book too, as well, but they do it in a way where you have these little interruptions and there are other Nosferatu going, Hey, but there's this that you forgot and da, 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 da. And they do talk about the Niktuku enigma and I'll, you know, we'll let you guys read that. And, and really at the end of the day, you're going to read through this story and hopefully you have a better formulated idea of what the Nosferatu consider their history and sort of what they consider themselves to be as a clan. And, um, and you'll, you'll have all these different character perspectives. And as you go through these tales, um, you're going to see not everybody has the same opinion on how we should proceed. And, Things don't, they don't seem to end up well for this gathering. We'll just put it that way. That the European perspective is not the only perspective. And in fact, um, there are some that harbor perhaps some bitter resentments towards those perspectives. And the story kind of abruptly ends um, getting to the modern times. And it's closed out by an individual who basically lays down a challenge, and then we don't know what happens after that. That's when the story concludes. And so that's pretty much chapter one. And then chapter two gives us um, an inside perspective on what the clan is, who they choose to embrace, and kind of why they choose to embrace those that they choose. And to dip into that, because, you know, it's to review accordingly, 
what's an Asferatu embrace different from? We'll use the last clan we did, which was Ventru. Ventru very much pick according to non-famous controlling elements of a society. Right. An heir to add to the empire, as it were. And leaders, of course. Right. The Nosferatu seem to pick more from an emotional bent. Like they, they certainly can. It's it's more of a matter of we could embrace because of utility. Right. That's always there. But usually not. Right. Like even the opening story, it very much seems to be a one of vindiction. Right. And and we also have to look at it from this perspective. And this is a very important thing to note that when the Nosferatu embraces and they say, well, maybe we'll embrace for utility, there's a heavy maybe there. Because sometimes those that they embrace just don't survive the embrace in any functional form. They talk about like gibbering masses of flesh and goo that sorry just the embrace didn't take because we can it's not even inferred it's said you know mm-hmm. the process is you embrace them they leave them set right down below because they don't know what they're going to mutate into and they don't know if they're even operable you can have an Osferatu mutates has no use of its limbs at all is more worm-like with a lamprey mouth and no eyes <laughs> right what are right. you going to do feed it forever well now the sire has to go kill it right and so the sire turns around and tells the Nosferatu, you see can't rely on anything not even the damn curse and he moves on so it's like wow i well what does that mean out of game bob well the point is is that you're playing a nosferatu is almost you can't have a normal life no if ever there was a clan that said your mortal life is gone upon being embraced this is the clan oh absolutely it's it's just done and it shares that with the gargoyle bloodline too but where that was magically created in your sculpted gargoyle this one is straight up no no right you're a mutant. And when we when we think about like the traditional stereotypical, like, you know, disgusting I mean, when we think of Nosferatu, we when we think of the term and the film and, and what that like you have an individual who most of the time when you're embraced, there is a deep change within you, right? And the Nosferatu are no different in that. They still have to struggle with their beast, but that beast, that imagery manifests externally. And, you know, we've said it before, but this gives you a deeper idea of the horror that they go through as an individual when that embrace starts, that now you have a person who is constantly in pain, who, is, go ahead. Is, is it true, though? Culturally speaking, it's 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 not. Like, I'm, I'm going to say that, like, that's correct in the not saying, and we say, and we use it, but it's, it's a full spectrum here. It's not just an, a physical understanding, it's an emotional understanding. Mm-hmm. Who knows why the curse does that? It, it does. And we do know it robs them of their own identity, right? They have to, because they can remember who they were, but they can never look like them right. for a long time. And what are you going to do? Wait till you can figure out some way to come up with that? You're going to be a pen pal to your family forever? No. So you got to think of a, what What do you become after that? And the second danger of being a Nosferatu, and they established this, if you take a culture away from a human being and you leave them to fend for themselves, and they don't even look like who they were, how long before they're just the monster you say they are? Right. And so this clan's developed a very complex culture that Nate's about to dive, or he's been diving into, uh, but keep that in the back of your head, because when you're making a Nosferatu, or portraying one as a storyteller, and you don't do this process, your Nosferatu just becomes some guy in a corner who occasionally shows up with a file. Right. And walks out the door. And for as unique and varied as the Nosferatu clan is based on what the curse does to them, how they're twisted, so too are their sires. 
And <laughs> some sires are kind and doting and, um, you know, they really have a, a disgusting yet kind hand to help them through. There's others who, when they embrace, they look at it as an experiment. You know, they, they film it and they watch to see what happens. However, <laughs> invariably, all of them will go through that mutation process. All of them will, you know, be twisted. So we're embraced. We mutate. Now we're stuck with our club foot or weird shaped satellite head, maybe an extra twin out the shoulder. <laughs> right. Where do we go from there, Nate? Well, um, in the book here, they talk about um, some of the different sort of um, like concepts that emerge, different personality traits. You know, you have your, uh, you know, like in, in real life, you have your various different mental disorders and physical disorders. Well, here are certain um, personalities tend to emerge. You have your martyrs, um, those that, you know, they can't react, they can't interact with humanity, but they watch from afar and, you know, they sort of dwell in their suffering. Um, the, uh, let me, let me, uh, get a line here. Um, humans sometimes say that suffering is good for the soul. If it is that anyone who can survive the embrace is a candidate for sainthood and neonate Nosferatu who can avoid sinking into the depths of depravity must have something very strong in his psyche. Sometimes it is nothing more than a noble cause or belief. So we see like there are those individuals who are spurned on. They say, well, you know, I've, this has happened to me so that I can a, B, or C. Right. Um, then we have uh, Cleopatras. And the Cleopatras are the individuals who, they are horrifying and disgusting, but try to exist as if they are not. They try to present themselves, um, often for the purposes of feeding or trickery, as if they are still quite attractive. Well, the Cleopatras are also the ones who were, te- who, who were beautiful, right? Yeah, they tend to be. And so they were, and it was stolen because that's a classification Mm -hmm. they fall into. And this is why why I pause there to highlight that note. So a martyr, typical. Mm -hmm. You know, someone embraced you, you survived. Probably you were a utility candidate that proved true. But then the Cleopatras are a distinctive one where they usually target like the beginning of the book itself. Talks about someone being embraced who was beautiful in a goth club and was trying to make it. Now they give her insight as the victim. But they don't give the sires. Right. And she calls her sire the demon lover that was really just a demon because it was Nosferatu. Right. And she gets embraced, but it's like she was worried about having thick thighs. She's a dancer build. She's been dancing in the club for years, going to town and watching her fit and doing all. Yeah, you're, you get more muscular, you're going to get bigger thighs, and that's that. But she's so self-conscious about it and so, well, petty right. is what it comes down to. She gets embraced that becomes not a, Cle- a Cleopatra in the clan. Right. And and this is um, typically these individuals are they're they're going to end up victimizing beautiful people. That Always. that is that is their their hatred. Their ugliness is reflected in the beauty of those around them and they make easy victims out of those that are. And then what does that people. make them? And that's the beauty of it. Right. Exactly. Um then we have the Fagans um the fagans are um they use oliver twist in in uh an example here these are individuals that um will cultivate uh you know in in the classic tales they'll cultivate orphan children and and those individuals go out and steal and gather information and um it doesn't necessarily have to be orphan children but it certainly can be it could be 
um, street gangs. It could be, you know, the, basically in the this, dregs of society. In this instance, the children would be mortals. Right, right, exactly. Um, not not going out and embracing them, but using them as like their own organized or loosely organized network of of feelers. Like you said, homeless. Right. Um, you know, they say by recruiting a gang of ghouls, uh, Fagans learn to exploit the desperate, the disadvantaged, and the simply deplorable, thriving in a very different sort of underworld. They often have a certain theme to their cults. While one may string along a group of drug addicts, another may prefer transient spies, street <laughs> kids, or even prostitutes. Then, of course, we move on to the leather face. So, and do we need to really explain? Oh, we do. Because this is, <laughs> I love them. I love leather faces. Leather faces in the Nosferatu. All right, so I, and I just want to say before you get into your explanation, sometimes when you become a physical monster, it's not always like uh uh sometimes that's just what you are. Exactly. And this is one of those things where you, you just love this when you're made a leather face, you target someone. We'll just say example, if you can imagine this and how monstrous it was, um give me a famous serial killer. Name give me one that was probably best well known here in the States. Um we'll say Jeffrey Dahmer. Okay, Please. Jeffrey Dahmer was called the cannibal of Milwaukee. Right? Now just imagine if a leather face got a hold of him first. And this leather face embraced him. Now a leather face sire doesn't necessarily want to face to face. They just want to make you and step back because they like to watch you work. They like what you were doing. And what were you doing? You were preying on man. Right. All right. You mutate one night. Jeffrey Dahmer mutates. He wakes up. Doesn't know how he's here, but does it eliminate the need to be a killer? The need to do what he did, the horrific things he did? No, it doesn't. And now In he fact, it probably enhances it. Right. And now, depending on how his mutation goes external, because here's something unique. Oftentimes... What is on the inside of an Osferatu manifest physically? It's hard to make that argument when you look at someone such as Beast, the leather face of Detroit, the leather face they choose in here. Clearly, they, they, they were bigger. They were made more monstrous, but they are nowhere near human. You would never make that mistake with them. And they go with it. Dahmer, given that power made into that thing, would become something that would use all the murderous tools to stalk and kill his prey as normal. But then the leather face side would come back and tell him there's a game to it. You can't just go willy nilly. You got to fake horror films. Right. And, and the thing that's uh, that's important to note, it's a thing. And it's obviously a common enough thing to happen in this clan that they would include it in this book. However, uh, when you read it, it, it clearly indicates that the other Nosferatu are not cool with it at all. It is not OK. In fact, you, you want to hunt them down. Right. This is in the Sabbat as well. Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Here's the problem. How do you hunt down something that wanted to kill and you just empowered it to remain hidden, to stalk, and to rip things apart like doors? Right. Right. <laughs> you just you just made a bigger problem. Right. Absolutely. But Leatherface culture is literally to do it in a way that you can blame it on some killer moving about, or you do it in a unique way that someone can go, that's that horror film that you did. Like what you did there. Thanks, D. We'll see you later. Right. Um, we have uh, bestials, which bear an important distinction because they're not leather faces, right? Leather not face. When we talk about leather face, we're referencing Texas Chainsaw Massacre. You can definitely cue up the image of leather face in Toby your head. Toby Hooper's love child. Right. That's now, the bestial is literally becoming more of an instinct driven entity. You, you were right, Toby Hooper. Yeah, Texas Chance on Massacre. 
Bob was like, he made the reference and he was like, am I right? Yeah, you were right. I was was remembering a shitty chainsaw film that I watched the other night. That's why I won't even get into it, but it was B-Horror. I was like, please tell me that wasn't Toby Hooper too. Let me just get that going. Right. And so um, bestials are what you think they are. They're individuals that um, their logical reasoning mind is not necessarily as important and they're existing off of instinct, right? They're existing in a way where they dwell in the shadows. They use that animalism to draw victims to them. And we actually get a little bit of a, a hint of that mentality at the very beginning uh, in the initial story. And I thought it was really cool when in that story, not to you know detract too much from what we're talking about now, but here's this woman who, she, you know, she, she wishes she had the negative uh, connotations of her, her own image before because now... Like, that's not even a thing, right. but this hunger is, and there's a rat, and that's that's food, and hey, I want to talk to that little rat. Come on over. You know, when I decide to start hunting people, I'm going to utilize those shadows almost like on instinct without having to be taught because these are things that are required for survival, and when you look at the Nasratu clan, their discipline spread, not that it really matters, but their discipline spread is very much geared towards survival animalism to manipulate the beasts uh, obfuscate to hide yourself from your prey and potence to fucking wallop them when all else fails or hold them down right either way right you or, done. or dig a hole you know uh for bestial reference um try to think of a a circus sideshow you would have a guy who was very in tune with animals but doesn't really like speaking to people much the typical line, people prefer animals. I, we always hear that. Mm-hmm. I love animals more than people. People suck. That's a bestial mentality. Only they, they literally wear it on their skin. Right. Uh, which is a great segue to our, our next uh, little personality type, skins, which is the exact opposite of a bestial. This is someone who is trying to uh, live among human beings, trying to be as human as possible and using that power of obfuscation to do so that that's their traditional mode of of being. And for a lot of uh, it is a negative connotation among the Nasratu. Like, you're too good for us down here in our empire of shit. Like, you're, you're a bag of shit. Right. You won't, you won't come to our culture because you want to, you're not human. Mm-hmm. No, but I can try. Get out. Right. Um, and then uh, finally we have the lore masters. And, and, and again, this is by no means like exhaustive. Like you can, the the cool thing about the clan is that there's one universally tying trait. You're fucking disgusting looking, but outside of that, you can pretty much build anything. All right. So next, uh, next thing that we touch on is the culture of this clan. And and I think this is going to be a big improvement over the previous clan book because it actually talks about the culture of the clan, um, about the society, a society of individuals who are essentially antisocial gathering, (laughs) together in these kingdoms and we talk about broods and it's a little bit different than your typical Camarilla coterie, right? Your Camarilla coterie is usually a diverse group of individuals bound towards a common goal. Whereas broods tend to be very much like a witch's coven, like a gaggle of geese, like, like, like survival needs. So you figure the coterie culture typical they already fit in their society, already know how to feed their society. Their society let them go. They're just squirrels trying to get a nut, right? right? Trying to get ahead. Nasratu broods, 
if I'm part of a brood, odds are somebody down here helped mentor me in. Right. Somebody may have embraced me. And I proved that I have a purpose and can get along, but now we exist below. Right. You know, the phrase as is above, so it is below. Right. That's what we're talking about. And, and to live below takes community. Well, they, and they talk too about the Nosferatu existing in two different worlds, right? You have your above ground world. Oftentimes it's the world of Camarilla political machinations or, you know, being in a Sabat pack or whatever. Um, but then down below, there's like the real, you know, that's, that's where you're with your brood. You know, it's like you may be working towards a goal above ground with your, your coterie, but really you're working towards the satisfaction of whatever the needs of your brood are. And that's interesting considering the needs of the brood versus the needs of the coterie. How does that fit in? It's, it's almost as if you're making two characters in a lot of ways when you make one Nosferatu. Right. You're, you're Nosferatu. You know, you, you, you are universally accepted as, as trusted and untrustworthy. You're trusted enough that we can get secrets from you, but you're untrustworthy enough because we, we don't know what you're going to do with those secrets that you have, you know, and you are definitely living a dual life. And that's the key with this clan. You're kind of always living a dual life. You can't ever really be totally yourself unless you're with those that know what that process is like the other Nosferatu and that, that even to some degree, and they talk about this in here as well, that to some degree even carries over from Camarilla to Sabat, you know, your city may have a hosting and hosting is when other Nosferatu come, they tell their stories that do whatever the purpose of that hosting is. And you may have your Sabat, uh, you know, the, the opposite end of the coin show up. You know, they, they call them creeps. They make that distinction, sewer rats and creeps. Um, and they may dwell together at that time, at that hosting, um, and outside of what the sect politics might dictate or definitely dictates. And it's always nervous because when those sects go to war, the Nas probably went at it first. Right. You know, to decide the outcome. I mean, that's that's one of those old Enochian book and nod uh proverbs that the first to die in any war are the nosferatu right why because they're the information brokers they're the spies they're the gatherers of reconnaissance so a lot is in here about the culture of the nosferatu but also what's in here uh, a lot of what's in here is talk about the actual dwellings of the nosferatu so we'd call those the warrens right and in your typical large city you're going to have a very uh, intricate and uh, developed sewer system, right? We, we, we all know shit rolls downhill. <laughs> well, the underworld, the sewer systems tend to be the kingdoms of the Nosferatu. And it talks about some of the things that you might find uh, in the, the dwelling of the Nosferatu, in those warrens. Um, things like the you know, spawning pools and different antechambers and like this gets into a lot of detail and I don't want to like bog the podcast down with like, Hey, here's what you find in the sewers. Um, but definitely it's, it's a bit more detailed than the previous clan book. As I, far as that's concerned, I will say we'll hold to not bogging on the podcast with it, but I have to add it needs to be in there because right. if you just make your sewers, like you're not sprout to live in the sewers and they deliver letters. Right, <laughs> you know that's what like come on like and right. i've been to a lot of games where even the nasratu players treat it as yeah yeah yeah, we're from the sewers yeah but we're up top now 
Right. And whenever we want to escape, we just go the nearest sewer lid yeah. and then we're gone. And and when I say I don't want to bog the podcast down, I want you to read that for yourself. Yes. You know, the, the He's squirreling away. Right. The 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 Warrens should be something, you know, a lot of games you go to, uh, especially like live action games, there's there's always somebody who's like super obsessed with, you know, like, oh, let me build the Warrens. It's not really how it works. Like there are Nosferatu and this is something that sort of develops over a long period of time. You don't just go to a city and build sewers, right? Think a homeless commune. Right. Nobody tells you how to live in your own trash, and that's sort of that's exactly what this is. Right. And uh, in almost every game I've played, it's pretty much just like established right off the bat. Like, just don't go in the fucking sewers. Whatever you do, don't go in the sewers. Well, that's a little ridiculous in and of itself because there are people that go in the sewers like to do work. And when they talk about Warrens, there's places, there's places deep within these sewers that human beings may have even forgotten about that don't even know that they're there, that the Nosferatu may have dug out and created these Warrens. So it's not like something where like, ah, you jump in the sewers and there's the Nosferatu. Well, it's not very Immediately. good. Right. That's not very good for the masquerade, right? You jump in, walk five feet, spike shoot out the wall and kill you. But how does that guy who earns only 27 an hour right. get down there every fucking day to check the levels? Right. Uh, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah. He just, he's in the loop. Right. Um, but the, yeah, so they go, they go pretty deep into that stuff and what that actually means. And then what the Nosferatu actually do like, what do they do in the Warrens? What is that place? What What is the purpose of it? And it's just as dark and as twisted as they are. Um, then and, we uh, and varied, by the way, right? Absolutely, it's different from city to city because it's it's it, it's dependent on the the those that dwell within it. Um, and I think that that's really important to note. Like they dwell in those locations, and every Nosferatu is different. Every brood is a little bit different, and because of that that's what paints the locations where they live and then of course uh we go into uh a who's who among the others the clans uh sects and the nasferatu opinion and these are like a lot of other things they're told from the perspective of a nasferatu and quite colorful right absolutely what's your opinion on torador just for fun yeah let's take a look um uh, then there are the torador you want me to tell you what I think of the Torador? Much to my alarm, the next sound on my tape recorder was a lengthy, gaseous emission of preternatural proportions emanating from the vampires and other regions. They're so damn fascinated by beauty that they've forgotten how ugly their kind really is. Vampires pretending to be beautiful humans, fawning over the prettiest portions of the mortal world. It's like Jackson Pollock said. My guest then proceeded to vomit blood on a nearby bedsheet. An artistic display my tape recorder simply could not record or reproduce. <laughs> it's a good one. Yeah. So, you know, when you encounter the Nosferatu, don't expect a lot of flowery horseshit coming from them. But here's the greatest misconception of misconceptions. Every game takes the fact that the Nosferatu are envious of the Torador as being that they hate that clan and both clans are at war. There's nothing we've read or reviewed that says they are. Not one damn no. thing. Nowhere. No, I want to state this again. Not one damn place has it been written that these two clans were ever at war. The Torador have more to be at war with the Ventru over anything else in both of their clan books from first to second ed, and they're not. Right. So just like anything else, it's they're just the clan. However, right. they don't like them. We already reviewed why. 
they're cursed well and, way different and I, I think that the key thing that we we may have just sort of rough shot over when we were telling the history of the Nosferatu, the orange oranges the origins of it sorry there's no oranges down here uh the origins of it uh the Nosferatu don't care about your politics in fact most of the time when you tell a story about uh, something that happened in the world politically with the Camarilla, with the Sabbat, um, yeah, there was an Osratu there, but that's about it. They didn't do anything. They're not there because they're trying to grasp for power. They're there for their own interests, whatever the Nosferatu's interests are. They're surviving psychologically. Right. Is what that comes down to straight up, because obviously any vampire survives just by blood, but they got to live, live with themselves forever that's something to do right um so then we get into what the book calls a festering heap of game mechanics (laughs) and actually out of all of the books i think this has probably got the most stuff in it as far as like hey here's a bunch of extra shit for you player and storyteller so that you can kind of like iron out your character and it's interesting that you'd find it here but you know we're all snowflakes right um, so new background information network. It's very you, you're Nosferatu. Your your bread and butter tends to be information. What better way to do it than to have a background that helps you? Um, and then they talk about the Nosferatu and their lore ability, ability, um, and how having access to those abilities allows you to remember broker information, whether it's you know secrets about other clans or you know, secret magics or just information that other people wouldn't necessarily have. Knowing how another culture operates or how they are hierarchied, if as it were, um, is super important to knowing why they do something or what they may do. Right. And that's where the lore master sings and comes in. That's where the lore comes in. Right. But that lore is not synonymous to just them. That's anybody. But this clan in particular, like Nate said, needs it for that background especially. So you know what to do with the information you get. Right. Now, um, the other cool thing, and uh, in the Venture Clan book, we only had the one merit, right? Yep. Just, just one merit, you know, it's all I need. Merit. You get six in the background, you're fucking badass. Merit, um, merit. In this one, there is a ton, a metric ton of merits and flaws. And the cool thing is, is that for, you know, when this came out, this is revised, this is like now the heyday of live action. And we know there were hundreds of people who were like, how come we don't get new merits and flaws? How come we don't know? We have to like do pen and paper conversion and hopefully it works right. Well, they fixed that. And they said, here's your Mind's Eye Theater rules. If you're using our Mind's Eye Theater system to play live action, here's your tabletop rules. Here's your Mind's Eye Theater rules. Here's how they convert so that everybody's happy. And I think that that was a, a by and large, a really great addition that the company did because you know, tabletop was their baby, was their first, right? But I think tabletop spawned a huge LARP community. And I think a lot of those people never even played tabletop. Like we, you know, the I played tabletop twice before I started LARPing. So my experience personally wasn't real big with like the tabletop books. I had to go back and read for myself so that I knew the source material. But still with the rules, I was like, well, I don't know how this transitions into the game i'm playing you know i'm playing the same game but with totally different rules and you know here we got basically everything going at the same time new book for mind's eye theater and when we make the clan books we'll also you know we'll we'll 
we'll pay to them too. Here you go. Have, have those rules. Right. So that's really cool. Um, the, the different kind of merits that you get in this book. Um, I'll just kind of like pick a couple at, at random. Uh, slimy. It's a one point merit, like a worm or mollusk. You have the skin that secretes an oozing slime. Your difficulty to soak fire damage is reduced by one and opponents who try to grapple, you must score two more successes than normal. So it's just like, it's, a, it's just random. And here's, here's another one. Foul blood, three point merit. You, you have foul blood right. and there's two pages of this. And what is the point of that? Well, you, you get shafted, right? Because you're an Asferatu. You you can't walk around among human beings. You are hideously deformed. But sometimes those deformities, sometimes there's a benefit to having really incredibly long fingers. Sometimes you have a, a even worse flaw, like um, being not quite so uh, sharp in the fang department. <laughs> Um, and then <laughs> this is my favorite of the whole, uh, merit, uh, merits and flaws that are added in here. Rugged, bad looks. Hey, did you ever want an appearance of one? How about you take rugged, bad looks for five points? Your face is hideous, but it could almost pass for that of a really ugly human from a distance, right? If you were to cover every other part of your body, you could shamble into mortal society looking only slightly <laughs> suspicious. Hey, you guys, while you might have a hunchback reptilian scales over part of your flesh or a foul stench that never dissipates. You can actually walk among mortals with extensive precautions without automatically breaking the masquerade. Other vampires give you no end of grief for not looking like a real Nosferatu. By the way, this, by the way, this is as attractive as Nosferatu ever gets. No merit will ever increase a Nosferatu's appearance above zero. But it does let you eat baby Ruth's candy bar. <laughs> so remember that. You don't get to buy appearance, right? This is an important thing to remember. You don't lose a dot of appearance. You never get to have an appearance above zero. So you're still profoundly disturbing. And if you're thinking, don't worry, Obfuscate helps us get around it. No, Obfuscate <laughs> makes you spend blood. For every additional uh, dot of appearance you choose to get, right, uh, that you're mimicking to go through with it, so it's it's a curse no matter what, right? And, they, and mechanically, they they bring it to the fore in V20, which is what I like about that, which is where that comes from. And uh, here, it's it's even it's like they try to hit that, uh, but um, right. I digress. Well, they also talk about too. Um, you know, there's always been that that conversation among. Uh, different you know, obfuscate users. Well, do I show up obfuscated on camera? Do I not? Well, here's the three-point merit, false reflection. And that kind of should iron out any questions for you. When using Mask of a Thousand Faces, a Nosferatu with this merit can create a false impression of his disguise on recording media. He can have his picture taken, show up on videotape, and even record an imitation of the subject's voice. Nosferatu without this merit, and that means anybody without this merit, uh can not disguise themselves to machines using the obfuscate discipline. So they say Nosferatu in here because it's a Nosferatu clan book, but we'll read between the lines for you. If you use obfuscate, you show up on a camera. If you have the merit false reflection, you don't. Three-point merit, be a Nosferatu, win. Um, but uh, yeah, so there's a lot of them in here. There's like four or five pages of them, but also... There's a huge chunk of information about the disciplines as well and how the Nosferatu specifically adapt them to them. And now, like me personally, 
I'm not a big like discipline merit, you know, guy. Like to me, that's that's a lot of like, you know, I don't care about that stuff. I care about the story. But I think for the Nosferatu, it's super important because it shows you how they've adapted their vampiric powers based on the necessity of of what their existence is. For sure. And it definitely will help you, the player, to understand them. But also, you know, I would say bear in mind that just because the information's in here, you know, you shouldn't necessarily walk up to your storyteller and be like, hey, I'm the Nosferatu heavy lifter. I yank down stones and throw them. Can I play this character? Well, you know, let's have a better story than that. <laughs> you know, let's let's work on that. But nevertheless, the stuff is in here. And then we get into the Nosferatu character, uh, the the um, templates. Yeah, the templates. I'm sorry. I don't know why I couldn't think of that word. Um, we have your Cleopatra, right? We have the leather face, like basically everything we've talked about so far. Here's an example. Right. Here are like stock solid examples. The initiate lore master, like it's just straight out of the book. And I, I think it's really cool that. A lot of the earlier clan books in the, you know, before the revised edition, they would talk about the clan and then they'd have like these totally random kind of characters in some of them, not all of them. But in this one, they go, hey, here's the stuff that's in our clan. And then they go, here's the templates of that. Go to work. What are the templates for? You want to play the game. You want to try out the clan, but you don't quite have a, you know, you're not with the whole creative think of it yet. Right. But you want to play. Take a template, man. It has everything filled out for you. Run with the template. Make slight adjustments if you want. Have a day. That's your character. Right. Um, and then we get right into the venerable Nasratu. Those that uh, the names ring out. And um, these are definitely plot-specific characters. And you should read through them for sure. Um, if you don't know who Uncle Smelly is, you don't know the clan. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. We're just going to... I mean, that's that's all need to be said. <laughs> Uncle Smelly. Uncle Smelly. No, it's that uh, net. Yeah. Uncle Smelly. Uh, Uncle Smelly. Um, or Dripsnot, you know. Dripsnot's you know, another you know, one. Look, if you guys don't know Dripsnot, I think you need to get get with the program here because uh, you're not listening to our podcasts. <laughs> so anyways, Nosferatu clan book. Um, any postscript? Any things you'd like to say about it? Um, no, man. Uh, I think letting you do it because it's your passion about it, and you can tell it too. Uh, that's that's why that's why I like it. But I enjoyed it. Um, the aspects of the clan to keep all of it. Yeah. I mean, really, there's not much need to be said. It's one of those clan books that I think we both can agree that in the beginning their history is like a lot of hoopla, but then they back it up. You right. know what I mean by saying, "Here's the organization. Here's what it is. Take it or leave it." Hey, we're Nas. Let's move on to what Nas are. Right. And we that's, that's we uh we we'll get into this more in uh, nerd words, but we we have a mutual we kind of met around the Nosferatu, and um I don't know what it was, but like um you know obviously we we talked about Bruja and like that kind of being like the first right you know you're like ah so I never played before I'll play Nosferatu, but where I came from, the clan was Nosferatu. It was not Bruja, like we just culturally i don't know why but that was like that was the clan everybody loved the nosferatu and i i really enjoy the clan and i think they're they're probably the most diverse as far as like what you can play because the nosferatu will typically just fucking embrace anybody like everybody has a purpose when everyone is shit yeah for first that's but uh yeah definitely I, I really think that this was this was 
don't know if it's my favorite clan book, but it's definitely one of my favorites, and it's one of my favorite clans, and I enjoy playing them. I feel like they they can be a ton of fun in any clan, and they can be one of the most diverse in your game because you can do so much with them. You know, a lot of people just kind of shove the Nosferatu off into the corner and go, ah, yeah, they're the secret keepers uh, that live in the sewers. <laughs> secret keepers. But that that's really doing, I think, that clan a disservice because they really are a rich, intricate, and diverse clan of disgusting monsters. So that's all I have to say about them. Uh, I really have no, I agree. Yeah. Does so, that work? Is that interesting? I agree with thank you, everything Bob. you've said. I appreciate that. Um, definitely, if you want to hear us talk more about the Nosferatu, about um, Nosferatu that we've played, how we've ran them in games, check us out on our Nerd Words podcast. That will be available on Sunday. And uh, for those of you that are backers on our Patreon, at the $10 plus amount, we will have another Path podcast for you on Sunday as well. So. Yeah. So thank you for listening. Next week, we're going to be reviewing Knights of Prophecy. So we're going to have some uh, wonderful Gehenna plot material to present to you. So, all right. Um, warning ahead of time, as much as we love like the clan books that are revised, as much as we love the material and what they did with it, um, not so much on that Gehenna plot stuff. So anyways, we'll see. It's been a really long time since I've read it. Maybe it'll surprise me. Maybe it won't. Maybe it'll be all hate porridge. Maybe it'll be all love. <laughs> hate porridge. Piping hot. <laughs> we'll review it. We'll review like yeah. anything else, man. Structure the book and how it's delivered is most important. Yeah. Absolutely. Hey, thank you guys for listening. And uh, we'll uh, talk to you again later this weekend or next week. Have a good one. Don't let him see me now, don't let him see me like this I will know